Welcome to Real Faith, the podcast where we explore the intersection between culture, faith and youth work. I'm Stephen and I'll be your host. Each episode, we'll look at a different film or series and discuss it in depth, exploring the themes within it and how we can use it with the young people we work with. We'll cover everything from action to horror, comic book movies to comedies. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Real Faith podcast. Just want to apologise for the length of time that it's been, about two and a half months since our last episode. I did have a few episodes planned, but unfortunately for different reasons, they fell through. But I'm really excited to be back and hopefully we'll be a little bit more consistent going forward. On the podcast today, I'm joined by Martin Saunders for the second time, who is the director of Satellites and the Director of Innovation at the Christian charity Youthscape. And together we discuss the 31st film in the MCU, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. I hope you enjoy the discussion. As always, it will be spoiler-filled. So if you haven't seen it and want to, do go and watch it. Otherwise, you might get a little bit upset at the spoilers that we go through. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Martin. I used to ask myself a lot of questions. Scott, you're at ex-con. How are you an Avenger? That doesn't make sense. But everywhere I go, people tell me the same thing. Thank you, Spider-Man. People still need help, Dad. That's why we made this. Like a satellite for deep space, but... Wait, wait a minute. You're sending a signal down to the quantum realm. So joining me for the second time on the podcast is Martin Saunders. Martin, how are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to be back, Stephen. And also, this is the (laughs) second time we've seen each other in a week, which is, that's a new record for us. That is. It's very exciting. Very exciting. So yes, thank you very much for, for coming back on. And this time discussing Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. Uh, before we do, I wonder if you could just remind the listeners a little bit about your role within youth ministry. Yeah, so um, so I've been involved in youth ministry for more than 20 years now. I um, used to be the editor of a magazine called Youth Work, um, which uh, was published by Premier. Uh, they still do a kind of digitally thing, but but we had a paper magazine for about 12 years. And then since then, I've worked at Youthscape, um, leading um, events and also kind of creative resource development there. Um, The biggest things I work on are the National Youth Ministry Weekend each November and Satellites, which is the summer festival, one of the summer festivals that's kind of taken on the baton from Soul Survivors. That keeps me pretty busy. And for the last five years, I've been a youth worker in my local church, uh, but I have just um sort of handed my notice in on that so as it were so if you if you happen to want a job there's a great job going in Surrey at the moment good plug well done so we'll get stuck at thank you for sharing that and so we'll get stuck in uh, to the film I, I wonder what's before quantum mania what's been your experience of of ant-man there's obviously been the two previous films mm. what how, how have you found them Yes. I mean, shall I just go straight in and declare my hand in that I am a big MCU person and I really enjoy MCU movies. I I think in a in the nicest possible way, they are kind of kids' films. Um, 
but kids films that that you know pitch to adults as well um and so i i tend to be very generous in the way that i look at them so that will come up in this next little while um i really enjoy the mcu and uh i like ant-man i find him great comic relief paul rudd i just think is a fantastic comic actor uh really enjoy him as a screen presence um there's a great cast of actors around i mean some of the actors they've sort of built around him now you mm. talk you know michelle fire from michael douglas as you're just your sort of co-stars in the background i mean that's pretty impressive um i thought both the first two movies were really fun capers um particularly the first one i think the first one stands up i think it's really fun um and of course he's an interesting character because as we might get on to he's got all this insecurity um but uh, but actually without him you know they we'd still be um we'd still be living in the in the the sort of blip as it were in terms yep, of yep. you know that, that thanos would have won so uh i think he underrates himself and i think that um without trying to make too serious a point you know you pr- people re- read that into you when you project um you know a lack of confidence people underestimate you and i think that's what happens with that man but maybe that's intentional because he's so small Hmm. (laughs) very good very good okay so let me give a a brief run through of of the plot obviously spoilers as always in this and then we'll hear your general thoughts on the film and then we'll get stuck into maybe uh, some of the themes on there so the film opens with a flashback when janet van dyne is stuck in the quantum realm and and she meets kang who claims to be this exiled traveler and he explains to her that he can get her out of the quantum realm if she helps him to to rebuild his power core. When and so they work together, and and, and through the film we get these peppered flashbacks. Of that, they, they manage to repair it, and and when they do, she sees visions of the evil that that Kang has done and and, and maybe will do as well, and and so then destroys that core. In the present day. Uh, we learn that Scott Lang has has written a book and and, and spends most of his uh, days a- away from fighting crime now and is, is happily living uh, with Hope Van Dyne. Uh, we learn more about Cassie, his teenage daughter, and she's a little bit of a, a political activist. And on one occasion, he has to bail her out of jail. And very early on, we learn that Cassie and Hank Pym, played by Michael Douglas, uh, have created this device that can make contact with the quantum realm. And just as this is all ex- explained, and Janet says how horrible uh, an idea this is, they are then sucked into the quantum realm, and we spend the majority of, of the rest of the film in there. They learn now that Kang is the ruler of the quantum realm, so this new villain that we're introduced to in the MCU, he's obviously appeared in the Loki uh, TV series, another version of him in the Loki TV series, but we're introduced to, to Kang the Conqueror uh, version. And together with a group of rebels, they have to, to fight against Kang and his forces, uh, led, led by Modok, and, and get home. Kang holds Cassie hostage and demands that Scott gets the power core back that, that Janet uh, threw away. Uh, lots of things happen, and in the final scenes, uh, Janet fixes the core and gets them back home. And as Scott's about to go through, uh, the portal Kang stops him from from getting through and and really beats him within an inch of his life. 
Hope then comes back through the portal and together they beat Kang by sending him into the power core. Cassie reopens the portal and they return home. And the film ends with Scott happily resuming his life, beginning to, to rethink what he was told about Kang's death, being the start of something terrible happening, getting very worried, but then brushes it off and, and, and thinks, well, it's all going to be fine anyway. Uh, and the film ends uh, there. There's obviously a few more things that happen, a few more characters we get introduced to, but I'll kind of leave it at that and we'll see where our, our discussion goes. So to begin with, Martin, what were your thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? Well, now, I've already said that I, I take a fairly positive and generous uh, view on these things. I think there's been certain quarters where Ant-Man has been absolutely slated. Mm. Um, a lot of people don't like it because it has some fairly kind of glaring plot holes, um, which if you were, again, you can either take the sort of generous Doctor Who interpretation of these plot holes where you kind of say, look, you know, everything can't be explained. It's, it's spacey, timey stuff. We don't really know, um, which, you know, you sometimes have to do in church um, or uh you kind of look at them and think no these are great big gaping holes um i take the form of you so i um i really enjoyed it and the plot holes didn't bother me i thought uh it was a really fun film i thought it was a really exciting film um as i've already said i really enjoy the characters that are at play there i think kang played by jonathan majors is a, a really interesting sort of villain creation already i'm i'm like many people he feels like the best thing about the film, I think, for me. And um, uh, I think he's going to be an exciting character to watch. And he's obviously going to develop lots over the coming uh, movies. Um, I think the thing that really impressed me about it, I haven't really heard much kind of conversation about, is the imagination and the world building. So a lot of people say too much CGI. Um, but I think, gosh, you know, what they've done there is create a sort of Star Wars level amount of new stuff and ideas and armies and characters um, for just a single uh, movie. There was that level of detail, actually, in um, another movie that was slated, which is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, yeah. where there's a 30 second, 20 second sequence where the characters fall through lots and lots of uh, dimensions and, uh, and the amount of effort and work that's gone into creating something that's on screen for half a second is absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. And I think that same level of love and care has gone into this. So, you know, there's some really interesting, fun aliens that we get to meet who aren't central to the to the plot, but are sort of interesting little side characters. Um, and um, that is one thing that I wouldn't want to spoil for people, actually, if they haven't seen the movie already. Um, but there's some, you know, and it's that's a great source of comedy, but also of of wonder. I love watching, you know, sci-fi movies and just having my sense of awe and wonder engaged. Um, and I think so much imagination has gone into the movie that I think it's a very lazy thing to just write it off as too much CGI. I marvelled, no pun intended, at the level of CGI that was involved. Um, and yes, I would have rather spent some more time in the real world to feel a bit more grounded and real. But um, but you know what? I, I thought what they decided to do, how they did it, lots of set pieces worked for me. Um, you know, characters are fun. Yes, there's some plot holes. I just really enjoy it. I came out grinning 
I, you know, I really enjoyed it. And I, um, one of my best friends who uh, did the um, uh, podcast on Batman with Charles Merritt messaged me after the film and said, what was that? I hated it. And I thought, wow, I, I just didn't even, cause I hadn't seen any reviews going in. I hadn't even anticipated that people would hate it, but hate it. They do. So I am in the minority, but I really enjoyed it. No, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm confused by by the hatred that it's got. I know that it's in in terms of scores and stuff, and Rotten Tomatoes not not something to to base a huge amount on. But I think it's it's second only to the Eternals and and how badly it's been been rated. So I, I definitely don't agree with that. I I'm I'm far more lukewarm on it than than you. I think I thought it was fine. It's a a three star film, which is still I'd say yeah, it's it's worth seeing. I still think it's decent enough. It's not one I would be rushing back uh, to watch again. I might do once Kang's story is is kind of told, and and then there might be other things within that that make you go you want to kind of go back and see how how that all all starts. But for me, yeah, it was it's fine, and and for me, the yeah, some of the plot holes do I do have issue with because yeah no I, I take your point that they're kids films but they're kind of multi-million dollar kids films and you expect a, a a level of scrutiny when it comes to to script when they're spending that much money on things you kind of expect something a little bit more but but there we go that's that's kind of where we're well, well I think they just made some decisions didn't they they just decided they were going to do some things that it mm. turns out the the population at large have looked at it and gone, no, we don't buy that. We don't buy the leap you've made there. So I don't know that it was just like bad, lazy script writing. I think they, I think the good writers, I just think they got it wrong and, and they did get it wrong. Like for yeah. the, the, the thing that we might talk about, the, um, the, 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 I can't tell you, I can't tell you, but there's no reason why I can't tell you thing that goes on through the movie. Uh, it's mm. probably the worst, the worst offender. Uh, they just made a decision there that was they got wrong. Yeah, and I'd, obviously I'd put out on Twitter if anyone had any questions for us, and one of those was around the the CG kind of mm. is there too much? And you've all already kind of alluded to the fact that you'd say that doesn't really matter if if a film's got too much CG. Would you? Is that yeah. is that a true? I I mean I didn't feel that about Attack of the Clones, you know. I think I, you know, I remember those Star Wars prequels thinking, this is just stupid. Like, this is just all CGI. Mm. Maybe it's enough for me that you root just a little bit the start and the end of the movie in the real world. Um, but you've set up that you're going to be doing this thing in a, not just an alien, an alien world, but like a world that cannot look like any other. Um, because it is, uh, you know, it's an, I don't know how you describe it, really, a microverse within our own universe. Mm. um and uh and so um i guess there's no way around it it didn't i didn't find it distracting i didn't now my 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 good wife who does not like sci-fi movies would not have been able to stand more than a few minutes of this movie because she cannot cope with that amount of cgi and being out of reality for me personally and we'll get on to this actually but uh, uh, with another listener question i think for me personally it was it was fine I can see that it would be problematic for others. Mm. And I saw recently that a couple of anonymous VFXers that worked on the film have come out and kind of said that the resources and the money just weren't there 
for this film that it was all put across to Wakanda forever. And and, and so I think that's that's an ongoing issue for mm. Marvel in, in terms of they don't really give the support and the, and the finances to to films that have that much CG and rely on it. Because there was scenes in it that I thought, well, this this needed some more work. Yeah. But then it completely makes sense when you hear those stories that actually these people are overworked, mm. underpaid, and, 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 and don't have the time to actually make these scenes look as good as they could. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I I still remember what movies were like in the eighties. So <laughs> I, I you know, I just I'm grateful for what I have. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously you're alluding to the to the other question that, that came in. And obviously this is the, the 31st MCU film. We've obviously got a number of TV shows as well that are, are linking in. And definitely for me, this is one of those films that you needed to have watched some other films. So the so the question that came in is the MCU being becoming too complicated for most or the casual viewer eh, to get on board with? Uh, and do we think it's going to have an effect on Marvel in terms of its uh, commercial box office until things get streamlined again? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I do I do agree to some extent. Because I think if um, if you went into that movie and never seen a Marvel movie, that cannot be your first film. They don't mm. even bother explaining really what sort of the multiverse is. They don't really explain what the quantum realm is. They barely explain, you know, you you are supposed to see Kang for the first time and go, oh, it's him from from Loki. You know, that the, there's a whole bunch of stuff they don't even bother with. And I think that's a bit lazy. And I think they've got to do better with that. For me personally, of course, as somebody who does have a degree in Marvel, um, not literally, uh, you know, I, I loved it and I'm straight in and I'm I'm caught up. I've seen absolutely everything. So I, you know, I know what all these things mean and it and it rewards that it rewards that investment um, over time. So so I'm, I'm torn, really, because I think there is something wonderful about you, the fact that you're building this rich universe that you really do need to just throw yourself all the way into. But there's also something quite alienating about that. My son has just turned 12. And so um, I've we, we're quite strict on movies and, and we've allowed him only really to watch any of the Marvel movies since he was turned 12. And so he's had so much revision to do. He's, I've, I've had to pull him out of school. He's just had to watch Marvel movies and TV series and cram really ahead. of. He had to cram Loki ahead of this uh, this movie. I just the thing it reminds me of, though, is the Bible. So obviously the Bible is 66 books and you can dive in anywhere. If you dive in in the gospel, say, you'll probably find your way quite well. But if you dive in in Numbers or Habakkuk or or one of Paul's letters or, you know, somewhere else, really you need to do some reading around it. So I'm not <laughs> suggesting it should replace the Bible in any way. <laughs> but, but I do think it's an interesting parallel that, you know, as scripture rewards investment, reading the whole thing, you know, my relationship with scripture completely changed when I decided to write, read the whole Bible all the way through um, because I started to see the bigger picture and the bigger narrative in the same way. I think MCU makes most sense if you watch all of it. Mm. And and I think that's probably fair to say of of, of the comics, probably that mm. what these films are based on. You do get those certain comics which are standalone and, and, and don't build into the the bigger narrative but then you get those those massive collections of comics that are following through in it and mm. if you start in 
episode 15 or whatever then you are going to struggle to to find it so i think it's just doing what 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 the comics have been doing for what 60 70 years yeah um or whatever as well and and probably the, the there's an essence that they don't care to be honest whether you're caught up or not because they're making money people are are seeing them so they don't have to be be giving you too much mm. information at all I, really i don't think they ever probably feel that they have to because if you're going to watch them you're going to watch them and if you're not then then mm. fair enough but i mm. think enough people are watching it that it's that it's ant-man and the wasp is still making its money still going to be in, in, in profit even with the the reviews that are there so so, so yeah criticisms we would put at it but but yeah, I, like you, I've seen all the shows, I've seen all the films uh, so far, and yeah, so I'm I'm completely clued up when, when it comes into it. So we've already uh, mentioned uh, a couple of points I want to bring up, but let's, I guess, focusing on Jonathan Majors as, as Kang, mm. first of all, who is, who is going to be the big bad of the next couple of years, uh, culminating in the, the Kang dynasty and 2025 so we've got a couple of years of him and I saw a report yesterday saying that uh, variants of Kang will appear in Shang-Chi 2 and and, and feed into the next Spider-Man as well so he's going to be a character we're going to see lots we're obviously going to see other iterations of him in Loki uh, series 2 of of that as well and obviously Kang is somebody who can stand outside of time uh, which is a is a key trait for him in, in terms of, of of where things are going to go. And I know when we were when we saw each other on on Monday, we were, were chatting about that. maybe the the parallels between God and Kang is is somebody who is is outside of time. I wonder within a youth work setting, could you see any any discussion that that could be done with 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 young people around there around the the parallels and and the differences between the idea of God outside of time, but then also Kang outside of time. Well, I, I, yes, I really do. In fact, I think that's the most interesting discussion point for young, you know, talking to young people, because one of the concepts that I think we struggle to convey to young people is the idea of God being outside of linear time. You know, we we because we grow up in a linear world and we experience time in a linear way. It's really hard for us to 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 think of God as non-linear. You know, mm-hmm. yesterday, today, and forever. Like we we do find that difficult. And I think the interesting thing about Kang is he's sort of he's sort of all over time, isn't he? He's we don't really understand half of it yet. Certainly not. I, mm-hmm. I'm not a comic guy, so I don't know the inside out of it all. But um, but I think the um, the movies seem to be hinting that he can sort of be all over the place and outside of time and, you know, experience time in this long, non-linear way. I think that's an interesting way of uh, a way into talking about God. And when we think about things like God's timing and prayer and how and how it gets answered, we think about things like creation uh and how long and how the universe how big the universe is how long god's been around um when we think about things like eternity these are all difficult concepts that are not completely unlocked but are helped by and you know an illustration of time being non-linear um and you know eternity perhaps is is the most important of those you know the idea that eternity might not be a sort of linear experience 
Street. So, um, so yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think I think he's he's not God. He's clearly not God. <laughs> no. Um, but but the other thing he he potentially gives a little window into is the Trinity, um, because you've got um different variants of Kang, and perhaps they are restricted in certain ways, but are all fully Kang. Uh, but you know you've got the Kang the Conqueror in this movie where he's restricted. He's he's actually stuck in the quantum realm, can't get out. Um, uh, in the way that you know Jesus, <laughs> Jesus wasn't necessarily stuck. I'll be careful with my theology here. But <laughs> Jesus was in some way restricted by the fact that he was mm. fully human. Um, so again, you don't want to take these things too far. They are just interesting ways into theological topics, I think. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And that was one I was going to come on to, that 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 kind of the Philippians 2, 7 of, of Jesus emptying himself, l- limiting himself in, mm. in, in, in some way and being bound by time and, and, and things on earth. And so, yeah, there is that mm. similarity uh, between Kang. They obviously Kang and Jesus deal with it and... In quite different ways. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To say. Choose to, Kang obviously chooses to to have his empire, in in, in the quantum realm. Mm. Chooses to to rule, uh, and obviously we then obviously see Jesus choosing something very different when we obviously were in the in the period of Lent, uh, just now, and and think about the the trials and the temptations that yes. and Jesus being offered that rule and that power. Yes. And and, and choosing not to take it, but but Kang clearly does as as the conqueror. That's what what he wants. He wants to rule. He wants to dictate. And yeah, as you say, I think some interesting discussions in order just to maybe to connect some of those difficult theological themes to to ground them in some way, not to limit ourselves by them. As you say, that can get quite murky. But I think it maybe helps just to to bring some um, helpful dialogue to that. Yeah, and and I think what's interesting, what you've just sort of alluded to there, is Kang is much like Thanos in that they are the sort of big bads who are in pursuit of ultimate power. Mm. And when they have ultimate power, when they accept ultimate power, um, you know, as, of course, Jesus Jesus gets all authority under heaven, uh, you know, when they have absolute power, they decide to use it to not just destroy but to subdue and control and jesus doesn't i don't think he rejects ultimate power he lays it down for a short time but he but he uses ultimate power to to say um you know come follow me you know it's up to you it, he's he is um submissive in a sense to our free will which is um extraordinary so again it's a really interesting parallel picture it's not not the whole story no, but it's a good no. way in it's a secret universe beneath ours what are you so afraid of there's something i never told you this place it isn't what you think the the other thing we kind of picked up on was that 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 gaping plot hole of of Janet mm. and and throughout the the film as, as they're walking to and from places she's like oh no we don't have time I can't I don't have time to explain 
what's what's happening here, who Kang is, all those kinds of things. And obviously, if she had, the film wouldn't have happened if she'd actually explained while she was still on Earth. There's this horrible guy in the quantum realm, don't do anything to ever get back there. Then obviously all of this film wouldn't, wouldn't have happened. But I guess for me, ra- rather than focusing on it being a, a plot horror or just poor writing, mm-hmm. uh, I wonder if there's something around the importance of of honesty mm-hmm. and and truth. Yeah, and that that when we are honest and and when we we share it, it can stop certain things from from happening. If if Janet had chose to be honest and truthful about where she was, now obviously she was dealing with trauma. And 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 all of that, and so maybe felt unable to to share, and 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 so that's important to hold that and 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 contention with with all of that. But but it takes me back to that that idea of of knowing the truth and the truth setting you free. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yes, that sharing that truth would have been difficult for Janet, but in the end, it would have been better for everyone had had that truth came out that the truth that would have shone a light on 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 the situation i just wonder if you had any any thoughts on that well there's a really interesting scene um with bill murray so bill murray has quite a significant cameo um in the movie they i mean it's quite interesting they bring him in to the the mcu and then kill him off really quickly Mm. um which is an odd thing to do with a, a big actor like that um but uh the, the whole thing is about the revelation that when Janet was in the um, uh, quantum realm for 30 years, um, she obviously had, uh, you know, she probably, you could say, pretty much thought she was never going to get home and therefore had at least one relationship in their sexual relationship. Mm. And then uh, there's a really interesting moment where Michael Douglas, who, who's heard about this and finds it a bit uncomfortable, it's it's very blasé the way it's handled. I, I I didn't feel I didn't feel really comfortable with it. Um, it was very much kind of the guy telling the husband, "Look, you know, I slept with your wife." Um, it was pretty blatant. Mm. Um, but then, of course, a little bit later on, Michael Douglas says, "Oh, you know, I did the same thing when you were away because I thought you were never coming back." And it's I don't know what I thought about it because in a in a sense, it's dealt with quite beautifully because they both tell the truth to each other. Um, and uh, and there's a bit of, there's a moment of redemption where he says, you know, she says, why didn't it work out? And he says, well, she wasn't you, baby. Mm. And that's the end of it. Um, but but also, and then and then Bill Murray gets eaten by the thing he was eating, which is amazing. I love that. It was one of my favorite things in the whole movie. Bill Murray is eating a little creature thing and it's horrible. And then they blow one up and it eats him. That's, that was one of the best things in the whole film. Um, but but then I thought, gosh, she wouldn't have ever told him about this. She wouldn't have ever told him about this. Mm. She only told him because this guy, who she brought them to see, you know, not really thinking through perhaps what might come out. He he tells the truth and he tells the husband what's happened in quite a gloating manner. Mm. And then that makes the, the truth come out of Michael Douglas as well. Um, and maybe they are both freed up by that, but they wouldn't have done it unless they were forced to. Um, so I think it's got this film has a slightly murky relationship with truth um, in that you truth is a sort of plot device that mm. only comes out when it needs to. I accept what you said about um, Janet and trauma. And that is a that is a lens 
I would use defensively to somehow protect me from this awful plot hole. Um, but I think, yeah, there's a there's a funny relationship with truth, which again is an interesting discussion starter. Yeah, no, absolutely. And 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 then also on, on the fact that she obviously knew Kang and you get the sense that obviously he was he was beginning to rule at, at that point that, mm. that she ends up getting away that he had started to to conquer mm. ultimately. And and if she'd maybe just shared something of, of that. That would have been that would have been helpful for for her husband and um, grand grandchild and yes. stuff if she had just yes. shared actually what what they were going to encounter because yeah. they ended up encountering it anyway and it put all of their lives at risk mm. ultimately if she'd chosen just to share something yes. of that that might have been helpful. But. Yeah, it's I don't know if it's appropriate to say this, but also Michelle Pfeiffer looks amazing in that movie. <laughs> she really does. She looks amazing. Am I allowed to say that on your podcast? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll keep it in. Keep it in. I was just—I yeah. mean, maybe I'm a man of a certain age now, but I was like, she looks, she looks incredible. Yeah, no, no, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> anyway, we'll we'll move on from okay from that if that's okay. No, that's fine. Okay, I, I guess another area that I wanted to 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 pick up on is is the the focus on Cassie on on Scott's uh, daughter, played by a different actress. Yes. Uh, now than than what we had before, and again I'd read a report from the, the previous actress. Uh, she only found out that she wasn't going to be in the film uh, when the new actress was announced. Ah, which yeah, again it's not not the best way of of handling no. uh, a situation like that. Uh, for whatever reason, they obviously chose to 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 recast. And again, something that I found unusual in the film, obviously. Scott seemed to be an an, an absentee father. He's mm. so focused on on his book mm. and actually his book tour and, and and living up this celebrity lifestyle that he now has that he doesn't really seem to know Cassie mm. anymore. Doesn't know that she's been um, was arrested previously. Mm. Knows nothing about what she's what she's up to. And 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 we get glimpses of that through the film that actually he's not really connected with her. At all yeah. over however many years it's been now uh, since since Thanos was uh, beaten and, and the blip ended, and it, it's played for laughs, yeah, in a lot of way I think as well. Which, when we obviously think of of of, of the young people that we work with, and, and many may come from from scenarios like this, whether it is an absentee uh, father or even an absentee mother, uh, uh, as well. I wonder how you feel that was. That was handled. Well, I film. You see, I really enjoy complex characters, but I think sometimes we mistake a complex character for sort of wholly uh, or whole ridden and a bad writing. I think um, Scott Lang is is inconsistent because Scott Lang is inconsistent, not because uh, he's badly written. Mm. Um, One of the challenges you have with um, with that character is that he's played by one of the most winsome men on earth. Mm. Um, and there's, you know, lots of stuff does the rounds perpetually about what a lovely guy Paul Rudd is. Uh, he's best mates with Olivia Coleman. Apparently he's uh, constantly kind of sh- sort of um, fulfilling fan wishes and, and, and helping people out. He's just a all round good guy. So as we watch the movie, if we know anything about Paul Rudd, we bring that 
with us yeah. then we then he's a, such a lovely screen presence as well so so you're just all in on paul rudd really you 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 love you love him it's very hard not to um and then the character is a sort of petty criminal who's reformed maybe but that sort of happened by yeah, it was sort of an enforced reformation mm. um so he could see his daughter and then because he became an avenger um and he you know, he, he he's not well. He's insecure, isn't he? He's very insecure. So he he believes himself to be kind of like not the best of the Avengers. He believes himself. Mm. You know, he's he's got this narrative internally, and also that plays out around him that people think he's Spider Man, or that you know people mistake him for other characters, or that he's mm. just the lesser known Avenger. Um, so he's sort of wrapped with this weird insecurity. But then he's also trying to be a good dad and a good guy. And then he's got a book deal, which just, I don't know, the way it's played in the movie, they're maybe quite generous to him, but you can imagine that movie being remained, uh, that book being remaindered in a few months' time, you know, that no one bought it. <laughs> uh, it's sort of, that feels like the punchline that isn't there. Um, so all of the stuff is is going on. So I don't think it's unbelievable that he's also not a great, a great dad like he's actually mm. he'd love to be aspires to be a good dad but he's a bit wrapped up in himself and his insecurities yeah. and his imposter syndrome and all that stuff and so he's not quite the dad he believes himself to be i mean i identify with that quite strongly as a father of teenagers uh you know and who who constantly gets it wrong and constantly doesn't know you know stuff that's going on in my my kids lives that i really should um mm. i think i'd know if they were arrested um uh i hope that but i hope i haven't missed something um but um so yeah so i think he's he is an interesting and complex character and that's okay but i agree with you for a young person watching this they're like yeah my dad's like that you know you might find yourself in conversations with young people who say yeah this is what my dad or my mum is like like she thinks she's a great parent but actually she's self-centered um mm. and it's all about her i know some young people for whom that's you know been true over the years um so uh so yeah i, I think it's I, I think he's a good complicated the best characters are complicated and rich yeah no no absolutely and i, and I think it is it's a a worthy discussion to have with young people on, on, on looking at a character like that especially within the mcu where so many of them are quote-unquote perfect and so good and so beyond what any of us could even uh, aspire to be and, and and here is a character that that is probably similar to to many of us. Uh, I think in terms of you talk about that 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 imposter syndrome, mm. um, that wanting to be better but 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 failing, uh, being selfish at times as well. Because I think within in the film that when when Scott's when Cassie is uh, captured by Kang, um, he is pretty much happy to to sacrifice the multiverse. Ultimately, yeah. if it means getting Cassie, Cassie back, so it wouldn't be the typical hero that like you wouldn't see Captain America ever choosing to to sacrifice everyone uh, for that. So well, what well, you see, I th I I think what's interesting about that scene when they're in the prison together and he's torturing his daughter and he said he th the threat that Kang gives is pretty evil. He says, I'm going to I'm going to kill your daughter in front of you. And then I'm going to you're going to spend eternity watching the same thing over and over again. Um, I, I'd struggle to find a parent who wouldn't sacrifice the world, um, you know, to stop that from happening. 
Um, so I think that's, I think it is, they create an impossible situation. There's, a, of course, a horror movie out at the moment, which poses the same little dilemma. Um, but the, you're going to tell me the name of it, the M. Night Shyamalan movie. Knock at the Cabin, is that right? Knock at the Cabin, yes. Which the same central question is on the poster, save your family or save humanity. Um, mm. So I think it's an interesting uh, juxtaposition. Uh, and I can't imagine I could put myself in that place without seeing also the complexity of what would seem to be a really straightforward decision. Um, so I don't think he's necessarily a you know, bad guy for, for not being able to do that. No, no, no. I'm, I'm ha- yeah, I'm happy to build up on that. And, and I hadn't even thought of of Knock at the Cabin. Yes, uh, it's not a very good film, <laughs> but 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 yes, it does it does have that that conceit at it. And 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 I guess it reminds me then something of of uh, Abraham mm. and, and and the story of of Isaac. Yes, um, which is a, is a, a, in all honesty a, a, a story I really struggle mm. with. When when Abraham is held up as a man of, as if he's a man of faith because he's willing to, yeah, sacrifice his own own child. That's always a story that I, I I'm deeply uncomfortable with and, and and wrestle a lot with, and I've never quite found a a, a good way to handle that but, that story. Well, do do you? Here's a liberal interpretation for you. Do you wonder whether Abraham knew God so well that he knew that it was completely impossible that God would actually want him to sacrifice his son. So he knew there would be an intervention. He just didn't know what it would be. So he, he went along the the road and got to the point of building the, the altar and everything because he knew God would appear and save the day. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm pulling that out of nowhere, but it's mm. one possible kind of interpretation. It is. Yes. Um, yeah, I'd need to think. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure about that. But have I just come up with a plot hole? Do you think? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. But yeah, it it, it reminds me of that, and, and yeah, that it's not as it's not as cut and dry. And I think yeah. you're right with 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 Scott. Anyone who see who has a child and was to see their, their child being tortured would want to do everything they they possibly could and would mm. become Liam Neeson in the Taken films. Yes, uh, just to to get their their, their children back. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Apologies for anyone on, on on language, but one of the, the the key lines in the film, and and one that got the most laughs in in the screening that I was in, was the line, "It's it's never too late to stop being a dick." Yeah, and 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 that being a a, a central a central ethical uh, message there, maybe a, a a slight deviation on the golden rule mm. on, on 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 doing to others as you would have them uh, do to you. And and that's kind of plays into we haven't talked about Modoc, uh, really, and I'm not sure if we want to talk about Modoc, but he has that redemption yes. in realizing that he doesn't have he doesn't have to be a dick anymore. Uh, I, I I wonder what you think of that as a as a mantra as a as a message oh, for this, and, and particularly within youth work. I am living with this in a very real and present way, not because I have been a dick. Um, but for a reason I'll explain and get into trouble for. This you you thought the Michelle Pfeiffer line was the thing I was going to get into trouble for. Uh, but it's this. So um, so I think this this makes me think about the polarized nature of our of our world, our culture, but also the Christian subculture and the church. The fact that we um we veer to these great extremes at the moment, 
of um uh you know i'm either very this way or very that way on any given issue and and probably there's a bunch of issues that go together so if i'm left leaning on this i'll be left leaning on that you know and so mm. on um and there's not a lot of nuance in the middle uh so one of the things you one of the things that's interesting about that is people tend to double down there's not a lot of humility and teachability at either of the mm. polls where people say do you know what i've got that wrong i actually have in the words of the movie you know and i don't think the language is too bad uh you know i've been a dick but it's not too late to stop mm. you don't see that very often um i was involved you can see where i'm going to go with this can't you Stephen? i was involved in a little twitter spat in the last um in the last week or so um with a guy who had just said something in an unpleasant way had said something that upset some people and was just a bit offensive and i maybe you could say it's not my role to be the twitter police and really who cares about twitter anyway these days um but i just sort of jumped in i said like maybe you should rethink that you know maybe you should uh reword that it wasn't that wasn't nice and i kind of figured that the guy might say do you know what i still absolutely believe what i said but i phrased it really badly i'm gonna apologize withdraw it and and maybe say the same thing in a better way that is not what happened there was just a huge amount of doubling down by him and by uh, those who agreed with his position mm. And uh, and so we ended up I mean, I've had, you know, some fairly strong messages from people this week who 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 disagreed strongly with me. Um, and I, I still maintain that that was this was a classic case of someone being a dick who just needed to recognize that it was never too late to stop being a dick, mm. could apologize about it and move on. Now, of course, I have just done exactly the same thing uh, that he did. So, um, so checkmate, um, Saunders, but, um, but I, but I do think it did make, when I watched the movie, I did think of it. Um, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. I saw it on the same day it all happened. So, uh, so yeah, I, anyway, what, what more can we take from that? I think, um, I think that is a rare thing these days to see people accept that they are wrong, that they got something wrong to show a bit of genuine humility. Mm. um and say i want to do better and i think when you do see that in someone and you realize that it's the real deal that's massive i think it has a massive impact and i think for us as youth workers let me try and redeem this quickly uh i think as youth workers when our young people see us do that uh i think they um i think it makes a huge impression on them if you'll permit me one more story I um, was refereeing one small part of my world. I I manage an under twelves football team. I was refere. I was I was running the line. So I wasn't refereeing this one. I was running the line on a uh, a football match, and uh, a boy ran through against us, um, and I thought he handballed it, and so I told the referee that was handball, and the goal that he scored was disallowed. Uh, there was a lot of uproar, and he was very upset, and I thought on the sideline how do I save this because I'm now in the position where I'm wondering whether I imagined a handball awkwardly against my own team mm. uh and uh and so what I did at the end you know and I'm not painting myself as a hero here but I went up to the boy who's 12 
And I said, did I, excuse me, are you the one that I flagged for, for handball? And he looked at me, it was a slight growl and said, yes. And I just said to him, I, I honestly thought you handballed it. Do you think you handballed it? And he said, no. And I said, well, I could only, I could only do what I saw. And I thought that you'd handballed it. But if I got it wrong, I'm really sorry. And I accept I might have got it wrong. I'm really sorry that I disallowed it. If you scored, because it was a great finish, I'm really sorry. And he, at that moment, lit up, smiled, may have slightly admitted that he might have handballed it, but also kind of like parents around said, thank you for saying that. And uh, I I'm, I never normally do that. I, you know, I'm, I'm an absolute catastrophe in most social and mentoring situations. But in that one, I got it right. And I think actually standing up and saying, even I may have got that wrong. And if I did, I'm sorry, goes a huge mm. way. And that's what MODOK does to get it back to the movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, I think a key message for for youth workers, if, if young people don't see adults and others very often admitting when they make mistakes or maybe just what they said wasn't right, for us as youth workers to be able to stand up when we genuinely make a mistake and say, I made a mistake or you know what I don't know when we're asked a question and and again going back to that that honesty and that humility that we're all we're all learning together uh, yeah I, I think goes a long way when it comes to to working with young people so I think that that is really important and it is played for laughs in the film with Modoc but I think there's a there's a genuine yeah really serious message there it just to to wrap things up then Mark I'm sure we could talk for 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 a lot longer about this movie, but but to wrap things up, yeah. Uh, then, uh, what this was the start of phase five, and 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 phase six will come and and lead us towards the the Kang Dynasty films. Are what are your thoughts over these next couple of years uh, with the MCU? Are you excited to see where where things go? I, well, I tr- I do trust Kevin Feige and 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 the people kind of putting these movies together. Um, <laughs> I have to say, phase was very underwhelming uh you mentioned eternals earlier that is a bad movie like i i cannot redeem that one that's just a bad movie um and some of the others thor love and thunder multiverse of madness black widow like there were you know there's a string of underwhelming movies what was interesting was the you know one of the best movies uh of phase four if not the best was um shang chi and uh, you know, I don't think anyone saw that coming. None of us, none of us who didn't already love the comics, had heard of Shang Chi. Um, and uh, they did something really interesting and different. It was a beautiful, you know, visually stunning film. Um, set up another interesting wing of the MCU that they've not come back to yet, but presumably they will around the Ten Rings. Um, and so. Um, so yeah, I I actually am more excited about the movies where I know less about the characters um, than I am about oh good we've got you know a ninth Thor film or something. Um, but overall, you know, I I am excited. I don't I'm not a comic guy, but I have read Secret Wars, um, and so um, the original Secret Wars comic, mm. and so I I'm excited to see what they do with that. Um, and I think also the Fantastic Four are, are great characters who've somehow ne- it's never worked on screen. They've never done the Fantastic mm. Four well. Um, so you're hoping that the MCU will. And then goodness knows what they're going to do with Deadpool and mutants. And there's there's all sorts of um, kind of interesting stuff coming up. 
am I a bit concerned they'll overreach and make it too complicated? Every time I see that kind of, um, they have a visual representation of the timeline splintering off in different directions. And every time I see that, I think, I don't know how you can ever reconcile all this. Mm. Um, but Marvel do know how to do a big reset button. So if there's one thing we can be sure of when we get to the end of phase six, they'll have somehow found a way to get it all back to some one linear story. Um, and uh, who knows whether the world will have an appetite for phase seven. Um, mm. I, d- I do think these are going to be some good uh, some good movies coming. Um, and you've got great actors. You've got great directors involved. Every time a new Marvel film comes out, I feel excited for a couple of weeks beforehand. Recently, I've been a bit disappointed afterwards. With Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, I came out happy. It's not a five-star movie, but it's a it's a four-star movie for me. Well, no, thank you very much, Martin, uh, for that. And, and thank you for, for your time and sharing your, your thoughts and, and your ideas around uh, Ant-Man and, and the Wasp. Again, for me, a, a very average film, but, but we've managed to, to talk about it for almost an hour. So even in the, the middling Marvel films, uh, there is lots to talk about. And, and I did do an episode on Eternals uh, for the podcast, and, and we did manage to fill about an hour worth of, of discussion. Even So even on a film that is kind of universally hated, uh, there was, there's always good stuff to talk about in Marvel, which is what I enjoy most about, about it. I enjoy the spectacle, but I think whenever we're talking about superheroes and good and bad and all of that there's loads to to get into and especially when we we look at trying to connect that within to the to the christian faith uh, so so thank you again and i'm sure i'll have you back on to to talk about another mcu film at another point i hope so so thank you great to chat Thanks again for listening to the episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. You can contact us on Twitter at RealFaithPod. Do let me know what you think about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and your general views on the MCU. It would be great to hear what you have to say. If you'd like to support the podcast, then please consider subscribing to the podcast wherever you get it, and also leaving us ideally a positive review as that lets others see what we're up to. But thank you again for listening and look out for another episode coming soon.